Welcome. The Leadership Lesson Podcast inspires leadership growth in everyone. We have enthralling conversations with top leaders in order to provide you with life-changing lessons. My name is Caleb Nichols. I'm a speaker, a pastor, and a family man. My hope is to inspire spiritual depth and leadership growth in you. I love to sit down with leaders from a variety of fields, hear their personal stories and leadership experiences. This creates the podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to the Leadership Lessons podcast. Our guest today is Manos Vindakakis. He is the CEO and co-founder of EVU Real Estate Group, which is Australia's first multi-brand real estate network. So thank you, Manos, for coming on the podcast today. We're really interested to hear your story, hear a bit about business leadership from yourself. So welcome, mate. It's good to have you here. Hi, Caleb, and thank you so much for, for the opportunity. Look forward to sharing some stories. That's great. Well, why don't you tell us a bit how it all started, mate? What was your journey uh, into business and, and into business leadership? Yeah, so uh, look, our, uh, our business uh, journey started uh, at the age of 21, where we got into the hospitality industry. So myself and uh, my twin brother and uh, current business partner, Arthur, uh, started a coffee lounge in Kringle Hub Shopping Centre, our, our, our local uh, shopping centre, as you might know. Um, so we entered the hospitality industry, uh, stayed in that for about 13, 14 years. Uh, we ventured from coffee lounges into fish and chips. So we started a chain of uh, fish and chip shops called Flaky Jakes. Uh, some yep. of the listeners may, may know uh, that, that uh, establishment. And uh, there yeah, we, should, we should mention, Manos, that uh, you and I are, grew up in the same town, Frankston, down in the southeast suburbs of Melbourne. So, yeah, it's amazing. You've just done all of this that we're about to hear. You've done around the corner from me. So, yeah, it's uh, and it's a wonderful place of the world. And uh, obviously, born and bred here, and grew up here. And um, yeah, uh, right. very much a local. Um, yeah, so we established our uh, our chain of hospitality shops. We had seven uh, fish and chip shops, and uh, we've got up to two hundred staff members, all aged between the age of fifteen and eighteen. And as we mentioned yep. before, you can imagine the the hormone levels that we had to deal with at that time. Uh, it was an exciting business, but it was a very tough business. Um, and during that time, uh, myself and my wife uh, had two young kids. It was very tough from a lifestyle point of view to try and get that work-life balance. And mm. my wife, Maria, uh, wanted a, a work change uh, to try and get that balance back in. So she was always looking at opportunities. And, uh, and that led us in 2002. Uh, she got a, a, someone said to her she'd be really good at real estate. And uh, she was. She got a job. After that comment, um, she loved real estate and real estate loved her. And a year into her real estate career, she said, you know what, we can actually take it up a, a level and get into business ownership and open up our own agency. I was very reluctant to do that, Caleb, uh, at that time because I had invested so much of my time and effort yeah. in the hospitality industry. I had no experience of any business outside of that, uh, let alone uh, real estate. So I came into real estate absolutely kicking and screaming um, to cut okay. a very long story uh, sh short. Um, she, yeah, I lost a bet with Maria. She really wanted her, her, her dream and um, happy mm -hmm. wife, happy life, as they say. Uh, yeah. And she secured an agency in the local area uh, in Frankston East. 
And because of it, I had to let go of my um, ownership of the hospitality industry, of, uh, chain of stores yeah. and entered a real estate. And it was probably the best bet I've ever, ever lost. Uh, <laughs> came into it, uh, absolutely kicking and screaming, as I said. I actually came to work, I think, for the first nine months uh, in a denim suit uh, to make sure that <laughs> Because the agreement was, we'll start the agency with Maria, but the last thing I ever wanted to do was actually list and sell um, property. I said, I'm not yeah. going to put a on. I'm not going to be at home opens. I said, you know, the last thing I ever want to do, um, but I'll help her with the back-end administration to do all the accounts okay. wow. and all those sorts of things. Um, and it was probably the best thing that ever happened. My resistance to actually go into the field and being a sales agent enabled us to give us a real helicopter view of how a real estate operation uh, operates. And believe it or not, the experiences that I had in in business uh, prior in the hospitality, so much of that we were able to bring over into real estate, mm. believe it or not. All the numbers, all the statistics, uh, efficiencies. And I could see that, that uh, real estate was a very, it was a cottage industry um, whilst the Australian love affair with property is quite enormous compared to the rest of the world. Um, it was really run um, inefficiently uh, from mm. my perspective. So I think the best thing is you, you come into it with totally fresh eyes, totally no experience or miscon you know, prior um, habits, I guess, or misconceptions of the, of the industry. Um, so you were able to apply so, some of those learnings um, into the real estate world. Yeah, and um, 20 years later, uh, we're still in it. So, That's great. And tell me, just can we step back a step? What, what was it like uh, running Flaky Jake? So I, I spent a lot of time in my uh, teenage years ordering Flaky Jake's fish and chips from you guys. So so well done. You definitely were recognised as the premier fish and chip shop around the area. So you had seven, seven stores, I think you said. Yes. Uh, so what was it like, though, working with the 15, 16, 17 year olds? Uh, I mean, that's an early business lesson right there. Uh, yeah. Can you can, can you tell us anything that you learned on the way working with teenagers? Yeah, it was, it was actually um, fantastic. We love the youth. They come, they come uh, with a different energy. Um, and I think as uh, obviously as business owners and leaders, uh, you have a, a huge responsibility to make sure that you can influence those those teenagers um, and I, I should share my story as a teenager my first job was with a red rooster uh, i was mm. at the age of 16 and i remember my my uh, uh, store manager um simon um he was about 22 23 years of age so he was he was still a young leader um and i remember mm. the most valuable lesson he gave me um one particular shift i think this is really important from a leadership point of view to, to share uh, I was getting frustrated. Uh, I was, you know, getting to work early, leaving late, making sure that I did the best I possibly could during my shift. But there was a lot of other team members that weren't, um, you know, uh, living up to the to the expectation of their of their duties at work, and they're basically being very lazy. So as a young teenager, I was frustrated because I thought this isn't fair. I'm doing all the work and I'm carrying all these these people, and I shared my frustration and my um, uh, anger with uh, my my manager Simon. I said to him, "This is unfair." I said, "Yeah, I'm doing all the work, and these guys are, you know, turning up late. They're slacking off. They're doing this very typical teenage 
um, uh, routine uh, in, in many workplaces. And Simon sat me down. He goes, Mel, I'm going to give you the most valuable lesson in, of your life. And I recall this. And he turned around and he goes, let's, let's sit down. He goes, you have a choice right now. He goes, you can be part of the 95% or the 5%. And mm. that is 95% will be mediocre in life. The 95% will not be driven. The 95% will do just enough to get by. Or the 5%, uh, you can become a leader and you can obviously step up exactly what you continue to do. And it's your choice. You've got a sliding door moment. Be like everyone else, the majority, um, without any, you know, with no, um, no judgment or anything like that. Um, yeah. Or you can step up and be a leader. And that was probably the most valuable lesson. And I guess at the age of 16, then going into business ourselves, that's what we instilled, uh, uh, obviously, to our team members when we, we started Flaky Jakes and our stores and having the younger ones and sharing those life lessons and say, this is not going to be your lifelong career. But what mm. you do right now is going to be really important. How you perform in your two, three, four-hour shift is going to be a reflection of what you're going to do later on in life. And so when you instill... Um, that passion to do a job really well. And, you know, no one, in, in, uh, you know, aspires to have a career in um, fish and chips at, at a young age of 15. It's a <laughs> job, but it's the way you approach that job. Yeah, great. Uh, I love that. Time, uh, that's the most important. So I think as leaders during that period of time, it was, it was, it was great. It was, it was great. Great learnings. Yeah, the, the mindset's so important, isn't it, when it comes yeah. to work? Uh, leadership life, uh, the, the the way that you approach things, because it's a great point, you know, not 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 to be disrespectful, but yeah, no one wants to have a career cooking fish and chips, but uh, it, it's a place to start and grow from, and and, and obviously yourself and uh, your wife Maria have some talent in building business, and to switch from fish and chip stores and hospitality uh, into a totally different field of uh, real estate that you had no previous experience in is, is quite a jump and not only to survive uh, be, be, be able to build a business uh, is quite amazing tell us about those early years and and how did you really get going was there a was there a momentum point was there a point a tipping point where things worked uh, that, that, that that you could tell us about yes yeah, certainly so 2002, we started the real estate career. 2003, we actually opened up um, uh, the office, which is exciting. But as I mentioned earlier, coming into it with no preconceptions of what to do, I was an absolute sponge to learn everything, the whole thing. So the biggest thing, I think, for everyone um, is to be uh, a perpetual learner um, and to right. learn from the people that have always, that have done it successfully in the past. Um, mm. Not necessarily copying them to the nth degree, uh, verbatim, but obviously applying your authenticity. So the biggest lesson for us was understanding the business, learning from people who have already done it, studying, mm. studying, study, uh, and then just applying some real basic mathematics to it. So I always mm. go back to numbers. Um, uh, I have a saying, um, numbers help us predict the, uh, or help us create the future and obviously predict mm. the future. So if you get really dig deep into the, the numbers in any business and key performance indicators, um, mm. which were used in fish and chips as well. So we took the average fish and chip shop that was doing, you know, from a turnover, 4,000 a week to doing, you know, 25,000 uh, a week, GC, uh, obviously, uh, uh, in sales. So and we mm. just applied numbers to be able to do that. So our biggest learning uh, entering real estate was to apply those same numbers 
in real estate and saying, Can okay, you give us an idea, Manos, yeah. of, of, of what that looks like at the moment using numbers in real estate? I think that's fascinating. Yeah, definitely. So let's just talk about um, how many sales there are in any particular area. So if you look at uh, 10,000, uh, you know, estates of 10,000 homes, say like Karingle, Karingle has 7,500 homes. And I think this would be a really, and obviously, because you know uh, the area. So we, when we started our office, we looked at our 7,500 um, homes. In any particular year, there was about 350 to 400 sales transactions within that, within that pocket. So once you understood that is, okay, how do I get in touch with every single uh, resident that lives in that marketplace to make sure when they're thinking about uh, coming onto the market, they're going to at least get me into the door. As soon as we, if we had the opportunity to present, uh, we had a, you know, 60, 70% uh, chance of actually winning the business. Um, and that's what we actually did. We ended up uh, look, applying those numbers and saying, okay, what sort of prospecting and what sort of lead generation do we need to do? How do we get in front of these people? And back then it was a good old door knocking and direct mail because social mm -hmm. media, the digital age hadn't, um, you know, obviously uh, wasn't those around. Days. Yeah, those yeah. days. <laughs> yes, remember those good old not days? Very long, not very long ago. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> And I do a daily blog, and my daily blog today was um, the best tech tool that's ever been invented. Uh, and I just spoke about the phone because uh, it's all about <laughs> people. It's connecting with people. I think people yeah, use yeah. digital now to hide and to avoid those face-to-face -face and those yeah. conversations and building relationships. But, again, always look at it when the competition is zigging and we should be zagging. So whilst a lot of people are looking at the digital space, we should be going back to what we call the analogue space and, mm -hmm. and reconnecting and doing the good old-fashioned stuff. So yeah. applying those numbers to that area, Caleb, uh, we were able to get 50% market share. And, you know, we, we ended up selling, you know, just on 200 homes per year. We held that business for, for 30 months and we sold, sold close to 550 homes just by applying the rule of numbers uh, and the law of probability. And which was the number that was really the winner? Like, what was the thing that you did that led to the to the sale? Like, if you could put it down to one thing. Yeah, and it hasn't changed. It's called appraisals. So mm -hmm. and appraisals is what we call the opportunity to present to someone to give them the value of their home. Now, they, now someone that calls in an agent to obviously find out the value of their home today may not necessarily be selling next week, next month, or a couple of years. But once you understand uh, the, the, the KPI is the number of appraisals you do per month, there's mm -hmm. a, a critical number that will actually end up uh, converting to listings, which will convert to, to sales. So mm -hmm. depending on what a sales agent wants to achieve. So if a sales agent wants to, for example, sell two homes a month early in their career, to, to actually list and sell two homes in a month, you're probably going to have to do 15 to 20 appraisals, getting to 15 to 20 potential sellers um, to win that those two uh, listings. Okay. Yeah. So that's the appraisal number is the most important number in real estate. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting for people who, you know, we all have homes and live in houses and and probably as you said earlier the aussies have a love affair with houses so a lot of us i know a lot of my mates have a good understanding of the market but getting behind the scenes is interesting from someone 
uh, like yourself. But what 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 is something that that your average Aussie doesn't really know about the housing market that maybe someone like yourself, who's an expert in the area, knows? Like, what's something that people don't really understand? Yeah, look, um, the good thing about uh, the real estate market at the moment, uh, real estate agents are no longer the gatekeepers of information. So mm. information now is available to every single seller, every single buyer. It's just a click of a button away and you can go to whatever sites you'd like to, whether it's obviously the, the predominant portal such as domain or realestate.com or go to the property research sites such as CoreLogic. You can find out what your neighbour sold for, when they bought it, mm. how much they paid for, any particular property, when you're looking for a property. So from an information point of view, um, I think a lot of uh, people may not realise how much access they have uh, to information. And also in regards to their um, uh, the, the reasons of, of sellers, for example, um, pricing a property. Some people have that fear of, um, you know, underpricing their property, thinking that they're going to um, obviously um, shortchange themselves and undersell their property. But in actual fact, the, the closer you meet the market to the actual uh, property price that your, your property is worth, the higher the price you'll achieve because you're going to create mm. that competition because the market knows what every property is really worth. You just want mm, to generate that. Yeah, you just want to generate that competition amongst two or three buyers uh, that will pay a premium for your price uh, for your for your property. So, because it's human well, nature, isn't it? To uh, yes. I want to sell my property. I want to push the price as high as possible if I can get the extra five grand, ten grand. But so you're mm -hmm. saying that's not really how, in reality, things don't work better by pushing no. the price up. It actually works better by creating competition. Yeah, let's put some numbers around it. So let's just pretend uh, you do a market valuation and all indicators say that your property is worth 500000 okay? So uh, most people will think, okay, I'll probably have to price it at five fifty or, you know, a little bit higher to make sure I've got some negotiation power um, in there because traditionally most buyers will come in and negotiate the price down. But as a seller, you price it at five hundred it actually attracts the right buyers because what you're actually doing mm. when you overprice, you make everyone else's property more attractive because the mm. competition isn't so much other um, agents. It's it's other properties um, in the marketplace. Mm. So that's, yeah, the greatest, the biggest mistake that a seller can do in the in the real estate is putting the the, uh, the right buyer in front of the wrong agent. And I'm not trying to, you know, mm. whether it's Evie or whether it's whoever you choose out there, making sure that you have that trust with an agent, um, the yeah. emotional drivers uh, that that um, occur between buyers and sellers, and that's why you need that agent uh, in the marketplace. Because there's all these talk about obviously technology replacing the real estate agent, but I just not, not even those in technology can see that the, the agent can be removed from the the transaction because it's keeping all the emotions. It's such an emotional um, transaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that you need the agents. Okay, and and yeah, it's it's really interesting, uh, Manos, that 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 role of the agent uh, in between. I'm sure it must be frustrating for you working with sellers at times who who want certain price or want it done a certain way. 
but it might be only the first or second time they're selling a home where you do this yeah. as a job every day. And is that frustrating for you when you come as the expert, you know the best way, you've got the track record, yet you bump into a seller who thinks they know? Yeah, look, it, for newcomers in the industry, it may become a little bit frustrating, new agents. Uh, what I say to our team, and when I go on the training circuit is, as you just mentioned, sellers don't do this every every day of the week. We do. Mm-hmm. We've got to be, we're there to guide those sellers. And it's our job to communicate and to educate our sellers in the process of buying yeah. and selling property. So okay. yeah, you definitely get some frustrations, but, but that's what our job is um, at the end mm. of the day. So if we get frustrated, we shouldn't be in it. <laughs> so really, yeah. at the end of the day, it's a good point. Um, it's a good point. Yeah, because they're our customers at the end of the day. And we've got to be, you know, pay, sellers are, are, are are screaming, um, uh, are searching for options, but they're screaming, are screaming for for guidance, and that's yeah, what we yeah. are. We we need to be the trusted advisor and hold their hand through that whole process. Make sure that we protect their assets, and make sure that we display that we're protecting their their, their assets in every mm-hmm. um, uh, point of the the sales transaction. So yeah, yeah. Great. it's an exciting business. It's most, it's the most exciting business on the planet. Uh, someone who's kicking and screaming absolutely love our industry <laughs> and, and tell us manos because uh you, your website says that you're the australia's first multi-brand real estate network and for what i understand is you created uh, a bit of disruption in the industry changed the rules a little bit uh so tell us how you saw that opportunity how you executed that opportunity to change things up and therefore you know what does eview really do that's different to other agents yeah, I guess uh, the best way to describe EVU, uh, well, some people describe it as the Intel chip that um, powers the, uh, obviously, the back-end administration of all our agencies. So what we did do a little bit different, instead of providing a brand to our agencies, and there's 84 agencies now um, uh, throughout Australia, they all trade under their own brand and we promote them heavily in their own marketplace. And the beauty about that is because... There's never a one-size-fits-all and every marketplace is a little bit different and every agent is a little bit different in the way they operate their business um, as well. So the the ability for us to provide all the essential services, and as I said, uh, the way it came about is when I came into real estate, I had that helicopter view so I could really identify how a, a, a real estate agency operates, all the moving parts, be able to create real efficiencies and those efficiencies as we grew were able to be transferred um, and to the benefit of our of our team members who are really our frontline customers so mm-hmm. it's become a b2b as opposed to a, when it started as a b2c being ev real estate um and, just and explain are- that and maybe a little bit more man it gives a little bit more detail some people might not even understand what b2b means which is yes, business to business. so how is that different from a normal agent and and why was that somewhat revolutionary yeah so a, a b2c business is a real estate agency on the corner uh corner you know uh, high street store uh servicing uh, identifying sellers finding sellers finding buyers landlords and tenants obviously to service our clients uh so that was our direct that was our frontline uh, customers 
what happened with eView, it evolved to providing those services, those back-end administration services from trust accounting, bookkeeping, marketing, technology, websites, CRMs, all those moving parts that every single agency required. But you can imagine the, the, the scope of work. You know, you have a leader within each business, uh, an owner who had to go out there and list and sell property and at the same time manage all these back-end important but not really dollar-productive um, uh, processes in the business. So what we did, we stepped in, we took that away and said, you know what, we'll do all the back-end administration for each one of our agencies. So in effect, we became a, business, a B2B, business to business, as opposed mm -hmm. to going direct to the consumer. And then our agents became the B2C, where they were out there listing and selling property and obviously doing property management. So that's how we moved from B2C to B2B. Uh, and then mm -hmm benefit to our agents is that they get those efficiencies much more affordable to to be able to outsource them plus all the the, the training the stress of managing uh, larger teams in administration was put over to ourselves and they could do um, what they do and lead their teams out in the field that were more dollar productive so we brought those efficiencies in place mm. fantastic and and how has that changed your role because so I assume you would have been pretty frontline selling houses where now these days you'd have a very different kind of leadership oversight role. And you've um, been gracious enough to include me in your daily emails the last few days. And so tell us a bit about that. At 4 a.m. every morning, you send out a blog to all of these agents within the business. And I'm sure that's very different to what you were doing at the start. Oh, very different. And it's evolving and identifying uh, leaders within our business. So. Uh, the team now exceeds over 400, 270 of which are, are actual agents operating throughout Australia, 84 individual brands, um, shop fronts, and they, they obviously list and sell property. So our role has really been to mentor our administration team. So we have an administration team of about 38 uh, people now uh, that do all the essential services that we provide to our agency directors. And our agency directors are who we call our clients. Um, mm. And then our role, uh, so my role as, uh, as the one of the co-founders and CEO is to make sure that I train uh, and lead those people to be, for them to be able to lead their teams. So we mm. do a lot of mentorship with them and saying, okay, when you have challenges, bring in, how, how do you bring, how do you onboard your new people? What's the right process for them? How do you manage those people? How do you help them achieve their goals? So our process is if, if we identify and we come across someone who wants to join, who, who aspires to open up their own business, the first thing we do, uh, Caleb, is work out what they want. What mm. is it that they want to achieve out of their career? And not everyone's exactly the same. So we have business owners that have teams of 20, 30 people within their organisation. We have business owners that actually operate just on their own because they actually have mm. probably been and done that um, and they just want to list and sell property and just have someone take care of the back end. So the most important thing and the lesson that I could share with every business owner is, and probably the most valuable business lesson is, every person that joins your business, find out what it is, what they want. Mm. Um, and that's been our greatest lesson because as business owners, we think, well, as you know, the, myself, I, I love business. I'm, I'm very driven, I'm always mm. go, go, go. Not everyone is like that, that or built mm. that way. Um, and 
And you've got to identify what it is that they want and what they aspire to do because that way you can help them the best. And it's not about changing them. It's about helping them. I have a saying, everything falls into place when you truly know what you want. Uh, and that's my goal for every person that joins our team, whether it's a leader starting his own agency or even our receptionist, um, you know, mm. at the line. Because we talk to them and say, well, where do you see yourself in one year's time, three years' time, five years' time? And then if you see them as a long-term team member as well, you can, you can help them grow into uh, more leadership roles if they want. I'll share a story. One of my team members who's in accounts, and she does the trust accounting, the sold files, we were called. Absolutely brilliant. One of the best um, uh, administrators we've come across, young, energetic, you know, gets her work done. And I said, fantastic. And as we were growing, we wanted to add to the team. And um, when we were adding to the team, I said uh, to this particular team member, well, you can manage these people and you can, you know, expand your skills and how great you can build. Um, the very next day, uh, you know, after having that discussion, because I'm really excited for her, it's one of the early lessons in, in business, um, she was horrified. She never slept the whole night. Because she, just, <laughs> she didn't feel she was ready for the role. She didn't really want the role. She was so happy with what she was doing and yeah. going, coming to work, doing a fantastic job, going home and not having to worry about anything. And then to be put that added pressure, it wasn't for her. So I guess as a mm. leader, advice I can give is sit down with your people on a very regular basis, really find out what they want um, and help them achieve that. And sometimes it may, mean, may mean they can't be in your business too because they outgrow mm. your business. Um, and that's, that's okay. true. Yeah. No, it's really good, man. I think in my experience, uh, you know, what people want tends to be their passion, doesn't it? And that's probably another word for that. And passion often opens the door to purpose and then people are actually doing a job they want to do, if it's their skill, they're passionate about, and then that provides the ultimate, you know, meaning really, which is which is a, a, a purpose and uh, coming to work every day and actually contributing to something, um, yeah, you believe in. So has that been your experience? How do you find people in EVU find uh, meaning and purpose uh, yeah. in the job? Because I'm sure you get lots of people that come in to just do a job and, and 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 then it would get very stale you know selling houses probably gets pretty stale how do people find meaning purpose something greater in in in, in your business in your world well falls back to passion but what i found what i've um identified and seen in my experience with passion is sometimes passion evolves because you get really good at what you do mm. uh, it 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 as, as you see people's skill set increase and they become masters of their craft, and sometimes it takes time, you suddenly realise passion is sort of connected to competency as well and how good you are yeah. because, yeah. and they fall, it's not like someone falls in love with real estate and becomes a real estate agent and they're passionate about real estate. It's actually quite the opposite because when you come into real estate, there's, there's, there's rejection, there's, um, there's no continuity in your workflow, there's, it's all, mm. what I call organised chaos. So mm. that's a real challenge. I mean, the statistics, are, the unfortunate statistics with real estate is 80% of um, uh, new people who enter real estate sales 
within their first 12 to 18 months will either leave the industry or, or change organisations because they just wow. either get the leadership or they, it's just not for them because they can't handle... Uh, the, Was that the, 80% Manos? 80%, 80% leave. Wow, it's so high turnover. It is huge. It's not for everyone, um, Caleb. Real estate is it's very simple, very simple business. It's just not easy. And we yeah. all have access to the same, or every real estate agent has access to the same ingredients, but it's the way they put those ingredients together. Um, and obviously their commitment to learning, commitment to the mindset uh, to be able to pull through, because there's a lot of rejection um, in real estate. So I guess going back to you know the successful ones and their passion is understanding um, how to cope with that emotional roller coaster and those mm. agents that find their way and understand the process really fall in love with people because it's about people. So when you walk mm. into a seller's home or a landlord's home, a buyer or a tenant, it's all about them. And when you mm. know when your when your heart's uh, with them and everything that you do is about them, this business becomes incredible, absolutely incredible. Yeah. If, if it's about you, first of all, you won't be successful. It just, it will just mm -hmm. obviously show. It just, just doesn't happen. And hence why so many people actually leave because they don't understand. It's all about the customer. You sometimes have to say to the sellers, it's not a great time to be selling right now, or you need to do this to maximize your price, or yeah. what's your life goals, what's your what's your destination um, uh, journey, and if it doesn't in line with their property um, where their property is at, you've got to give them the the, the right advice. You just can't mm. sell their own. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And so for you, Manos, how, how did you fall in love with people and get beyond the money and the position and the I need a job and a wage and, and actually get to that place of doing it for people because you because you appear really genuine in that and and i'm sure from what i understand you wouldn't have been able to build a successful business if your motive had been wrong uh, i'm sure there's been wrong motives along the way but they've had to be changed and dealt with so how did you kind of fall in love with people in that sense why do you do it for them, to serve think, them? um i think it's just our, our natural just the way we are um you know we, we certainly don't um have we look at work and life the same. We don't separate work from life. It, to us, it's mm -hmm. a lifestyle choice, and it's and it's, it's you know it works in unison. And I think it's just our our DNA. We love people. We we're, we're very social, uh, and that that transcends into work as well. We're extremely social with with our team members. We don't hide away uh, from the fact that we are and promote ourselves as a family business. Um, always mm -hmm. have. We're very professional and corporate. Uh, in our structure, very, very, and we've got specific roles and duties everyone needs to take part, but everyone is family as far as we're concerned um, in right. our business. It's just, it's our DNA. Um, I think I shared with you when we first spoke, our big audacious goal by the end of the year is to put a process in place where um, all our team, only as in our administration team, work four days a week, go, go to the four-day work week. We do believe that's mm. the progression of business leadership in, in Australia. I think that needs to be done uh, over the next three to four or five years because we live in a world of distraction, total distraction, um, and we're always on, uh, you know, whether it's the weekend, whether it's after hours, you know, work has really blended into, uh, into, into home. It's very difficult to switch off. And I think we need to reassess that because I think from 
you know, health and well-being. We can see people are struggling with it. I think it's only going to get worse if we don't address it. Um, but yeah, I hope that sort of answers your your, your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've always that's just our natural tendency to to love people. Um, we have three pillars: support, profitability, and freedom. They're our they're mm-hmm. our three pillars that we work. Culture for us is everything based around those that each each team member will support uh, the other team member and or customer and clients, everyone that they're involved with. Profitability. Profitability isn't just about finances, although that's important. Uh, we have a very disciplined approach to, to financials. Uh, one of the big things, I'm very conservative. I'm not a risk taker. And one of the big uh, things that we teach and promote within our organisations, pay off your home. It was, it was only, it was only just... Um, uh, last week, one of our team members goes, oh, follow up, I've just paid off my home. And I'm uh-huh. like, you know what I mean? That's the best, you know, to be mortgage-free and to be financially disciplined. And then mm. freedom to make sure that you're doing what you're... And profitability also is about time and making sure that you have got the time. So, you know, instead of just making money, making make, making money. So, for example, from a real estate agent's point of view, we say to them, you're on almost, you know, 24-7 in real estate. You need to add team members. You need to be profitable in your business to add team members to buy back time. Mm. Mm. Um, it's not so much about, you know, putting an extra zero at the end of your um, group certificate. So mm. that, that's really important. And then freedom, of course, freedom to do what you want to do when you want to do it um, and, and freedom of choice. It's good. Really good, mate. I love that. So support, profitability, and freedom as three kind of hooks that your culture revolves around, and which you know in itself, uh, just having uh, those hooks in any business is so important. Something that's easy to remember that you can come back to. So just talk to us for a moment. I was interested when you said about dealing with rejection. Uh, I can see how that would be difficult uh, in the real estate industry. There'd be a lot of no's or a lot of leads that don't end up anywhere or appraisals that you know or maybe people that say they're going to use you to sell their home and then at the last minute don't use you and uh, how have you learned or how do you help and mentor people to to deal with that rejection caleb purely from experience i remember the first time that i lost one of my first very first off probably my second or third listing uh appraisal um we uh, and it was in Keringle. I'll never forget it. And um, I remember the phone call that we received into, into the office and Maria um, said, look, we wish you all the very best. And um, it's, uh, sorry, apologies about that. Um, uh, wish you all the best, you know, obviously with your selected agent. And when she hanged up the phone, I said, who was that? And she goes, oh, that was X, Y, Z. And I said, we lost the listing. We lost their listing. Because, yeah, they've gone with X, Y, Z. I was a mess. I went home for three days. I could, I could not believe it. I thought they loved us that much. They were going to name their kids after us. <laughs> like it was just one of those. And I must admit, and I openly say it to the team: if I, if we hadn't financially committed to the business at that point in time, this was very early on. Like it mm. took me nine months to get out of my denim suit and actually to sell uh, my first property and get into real estate, and then obviously one or two months. Um, after that, to actually get in the lounge room to present. And mind you, once you sell your first home, you're, it's hook, line and sinker. It's just <laughs> incredible, incredible. For me, it was. It was an incredible feeling. Um, uh, and and I remember losing this particular one that we worked so hard for and, you know, thought we had a great connection. 
my wife sent me home for three days. She goes, no, look, can you just go home for three days? Like, just, we, we, you know, just get over yourself sort of thing. Like, suck it up. Like, really. And you've got to be that brutal with yourself. And, yeah. and then the way I got over it is understanding um, that everyone has to go through rejection. And it's not only rejection in business, it's rejection in life. And it's, mm. it's, it's, it's a skill set that we all need to, in a mindset, I should say, that we all need to, to accept, not take it personally, really uh, uh, have, um, you know, fall in love with yourself, uh, for lack of a better expression, know that you're worthy, not take it personally. Things happen for you, not to you. Um, mm. and, uh, and this, but it took me a long time, Caleb. It really, yeah. really did. Um, and in, I'm, in your you book, know, I can probably tell a lot over it. <laughs> <laughs> in your book, Manos, I had a, a quick flick through your book. Can you just give us the title again of, of your book? Yeah, um, The 62nd uh, Entrepreneur. Um, the right. surprise about how to achieve success in real estate. So it's all the... Right. All the lessons that I've learned in in real estate business, and obviously Flaky Jakes as well. Yeah, great. And I encourage anyone to, to to grab that. I had a flick through it, and there's lots in there about family and life and business and all kinds of things. But I noticed a line in there. You said uh, with people uh, to, to always have faith in people, yet hold them very loosely. Uh, not maybe not rely on them. Maybe you can remember the line. But uh, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, have faith in everyone, but don't and. and and not to take it into into wrong uh, context, have faith in everyone, but don't count on everyone. And what mm. that means is sometimes we have more faith in people than they have faith in themselves. And we yeah. really need to, to empower people and we need to um, obviously um, uh, give them as many tools to grow, you know, and again, yeah. understanding their wants, but also to have a reconciliation process in your in your business to make sure that you've got some fundamentals in place. We don't like micromanaging. One of the, I, I, I can't handle micromanaging, but you've still mm. got to put some, um, some really simple uh, performance indicators in place to say, okay, the job is getting done. And it's not so much for the business leaders, it's actually for the individuals because yeah. most people work in chaos and not organised, and we're trying to move the chaos into organised chaos. Um, I'm definitely not one person to say nine to five and between nine and 10, you've got to do this and between 10 and 11, you've got to do that. I've got a great belief that you should work in um, choice management rather than time management. I think that's more important yep. and I think that's more relevant in today's uh, business environment that you know mm. you've got certain tasks to do at any particular point in time and you've just got to get it done and fit them into your, your daily schedule, weekly, uh, fortnightly, monthly. Um, and calendar year. Great. So, yeah. A wealth of wisdom there from you, mate. We might start heading towards a bit of a close. I'd love to hear uh, a couple of maybe tips on the property market because uh, I know a lot of people would be interested maybe where you think it's at right now and then maybe we can finish off with a bit of a, a leadership lesson or maybe if you've got a, uh, a one tip that uh, is above all the others uh, for an aspiring yeah. leader. So first of all, so we, we're here in uh, March 2022. Mm -hmm. um, maybe give us a bit of an insight. Where is the property market at? Australia's love affair with property. We've come out of COVID. Prices have gone through the roof. It's a fascinating time. You get the doomsday reports, you know, kind of cycle through all the time that we're in a bubble. It's going to crash. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts? Give us your, give us the download. Well, 
I'll, I'll, I'll go back to uh, March of 2020, obviously, as soon as COVID um, hits. And I must admit, even, even ourselves as business owners, we were, we were strategizing our disaster management um, uh, process because of the, we're thinking that the property market's just going to totally collapse and or not so much collapse in prices, but people would just stop listing and selling. So as real estate agents, our biggest challenge isn't so much prices going up, is how many homes are actually selling. So, but of course, one correlates with the other. When there's lots of property selling, prices are always going up because there's more demand. And that supply-demand curve will always play a part um, in uh, real estate prices. Okay, so, and post the pandemic, obviously just after the pandemic started, obviously when the government came in and offered that support, we, we had a sense that, okay, things, are, things aren't going to be as bad as what we thought. And I actually wrote a blog and said it was going to be our roaring 20s. So in April 2020, I actually wrote, I said, this is going to be our time of roaring 20s because I looked at past pandemics as well and said, what happened post-pandemic? And every time we've seen dramatic growth. And, of course, we've experienced that. It's been over 20% on average right across the board in Australia some markets have had 50, 60, 100% increases in the last 18 to 24 months. So absolutely incredible growth. But of course, growth has to come to um, a manageable level as well. And that's purely because at the moment, and I do believe, even though the, 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 the percentages are really high, Caleb, it was a managed growth. And what I say about that is the lending criteria that we've had in place for the last 18 months. For anyone that went out to go get a loan last 18 months, it's been very difficult. Uh, the lending uh, criteria and has been very, very strict, as obviously put down by APRA. So the banks are very wary and um, take their responsibility of lending. Obviously, normally it's really amplified. So it hasn't been money just being given out to people and making sure that obviously their ability to repay. So I don't see the market crashing because of it. But definitely yeah. there's affordability at this point in time. So we've reached the affordability uh, point. There's only so much that people can actually borrow and hence offer on properties. And we've hit that, uh, that peak. So we'll yeah. see very, very plateau, maybe 1% or 2% increases or decreases in any particular marketplace, I believe, for the next 12 um, to 24 months. Uh, I, I see where we were selling... Across Australia, 650,000 uh, properties per year. The average um, was 500. We believe it's going to get closer to the 500,000. So the volume of transactions will decrease again, which affects mm. property prices, and they'll stay. They'll stay. Um, so, yeah, Tim, I was in the last two weeks. I was with Tim Lawless and um, uh, Bernard Salt. So Bernard Salt's a famous demographer. In, in Australia, yes. rights for the Australian, uh, the Australian, and Tim Lawless is um, head of CoreLogic, the property market, uh, and all indicators are all very positive in the sense that yeah, we will see a slowdown, but immigration is going to increase over the next you know twelve months, twenty four months, and beyond. So population growth and demand for housing is going to be there well into the the balance of this decade and beyond. Um, Economic-wise, Australia is really well positioned. Considering all the all the challenges the world is having, Australia will always be well positioned to from an economic uh, point of view. Um, interest rates 
although they're going to increase and we know they're going to increase, there's been that buffer of 3% um, allowable in all the lending criteria. So most people will, will see that. The only question mark that I have for the property market at the moment is inflation, is how mm -hmm. far inflation and whether or not wage increases. And I do believe wages are going to increase by the end of the year, which they need to, but how that's going to impact inflation. Um, because mm -hmm. obviously, Property fuel prices, I should say, energy prices are increasing, and the cost of building materials and the cost of goods that were, you know, obviously at the, the local shop uh, is increasing. There's going to be pressure there. Um, Caleb, you know, when you buy and sell real estate in the same market, and especially for a lifestyle choice, it doesn't really matter. It really doesn't yeah. matter if you pay a little bit more or if you lose a little bit. It's the best time to actually upgrade your property is when the market is down because the changeover costs is less. So, you know, if you're thinking you may have got an extra 5 or 10% when the market was at peak, if you were going to upgrade, you're probably going to pay 5 or 10% in your next property uh, increase. Then the gap between mm -hmm. yours and that one is far greater than if you took a 5% decrease on or 10% on the one that you're in now to purchase a 5-10 decrease in the, the next purchase. So mm. makes think, sense. Yep, yeah, makes sense. What about um your first homeowners? Um, that's always a concern. Uh, will yep. you know young people be able to partake in the Australian dream of owning their own home? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, the, the bank of mum and dad needs to really um, come into play, and it has. There's no question we see that um, the bank of mum and dad helping, obviously, the younger generation uh, coming into the into the property markets. And again, we've got to look at where um, the affordability is for, for um, uh, the first home buyers. Um, our son and his fiance, they they bought out in Lang Lang, so they've they've gone out, so they've had to go to the out suburbs to be able to afford where they could afford um, to get into the property market. So it's that's going to be a tough one if um, if the younger generation or first home buyers should say saving their deposit because the lending criteria is so high, um, and if the government um, eases up on the first home buyers grants, but they it's mm. it's be a matter of supply total matter of supply so what i recommend to all people looking to purchase is budget, look at your budget and find an area that you can um afford in and get into the property market you're better off being in the property market um than not and rent investors that's um obviously a lot of people who are buying their first property as an investment not where they particularly want to live but yeah. um and then they rent where they want to live and work. Um, Great. Yeah. Well, that's been that's been my advice as well. So I'm glad to hear I'm not giving bad advice, Manos. Yeah. Is, yeah get, you're better to be in the market than not in, and that was my my experience. I bought a little unit in Potts Road, which kicked me Perfect. off. And uh, yeah, thank God I was able to do that and had some good people around me. My parents encouraged me to do that as well. And yeah, it's been a good move. So Mount Botanic Ridge now. So I don't know if you sell much out yeah. that way, but uh, yeah, we do. We have a couple of now, our so. team members and uh, Sterling Estate Agents and Mooney and Co. Um, okay, yeah, the right out there. And and again, you're still very local as well, like as in yeah. easy, easy accessibility to the city. So you know, when mm. you look for obviously purchasing, yeah. And look, I think regional as well. Um, I think there's going to be some great growth in regional markets such as um, Bendigo, Ballarat, 
Um, the coastal mm. areas still, um, you know, obviously uh, are always going to be popular, especially as lifestyle changes as well, Caleb. Like the beauty about COVID, um, you know, the silver lining in COVID is our flexibility of how we can actually work and live. And so yeah. people have made that decision to move to coastal or more regional areas, transition into work one or two days a week, work from home to two days a week. We will be seeing, it's not going to matter, it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when we're going to go to the four-day work week. So if people are okay about traveling for four days, they'll travel a little bit longer to, to have obviously their lifestyle choice for the three days that, that they're at home. Um, but Australia is the best place on the planet to really be um, uh, investing in property. We've got a stable government. We've got a fantastic um, uh, titleship ownership uh, of, of property. Um, yeah, I think it ticks all the boxes. So, again, it's, 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 it's a fantastic investment. Um, and obviously, everyone needs shelter as well. Yeah. No, we're living the dream here in Australia, mate. I wish more people... Uh, realize that how good we have it down here it's uh you've definitely won the uh won the lottery to be born in this country that's for sure or migrate to this country so finally mate what would be a, a tip leadership lesson from your life that you could give to an aspiring leader yeah uh it's all about people and, and i know mm. it's probably a cliche uh but the more people understand business ownership is not so much about your business and what you offer to the the end consumer it's actually building and amplifying people within your organization and finding those great ones that will come along uh, on the journey with you. You can't shrink yourself to greatness. So the more you focus your business on the people and then put the systems and processes uh, in, in, you know, in place to support your team, uh, then you'll have a successful business no matter what industry uh, you're in. So people first, people first, people first. Fantastic. No, that's really good, mate. Um, I really appreciate your time today, Manos. Uh, you've done, you know, well done on uh, building up great business and uh, well done on building up our local community here in uh, Frankston. So appreciate all your work there, mate. And uh, it's been great to meet you and uh, spend the time together. Thanks for have, coming on the Leadership Lessons podcast. Likewise, Caleb. And if anyone um, wants to reach out, by all means, uh, hand them over our details. Love to connect and uh, help in any way we can. So thank you once again for allowing us on your show. Great, mate. I trust you were impacted by that Leadership Lessons podcast. I would love to hear your thoughts about today's podcast. Please comment down below and please review the podcast and share it with a friend. Doing this inspires us and helps others to find the podcast. See you next time.